Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. And this is episode 52. Welcome back, guys. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah, if it was if we had done one per week, we'd have been at our year. But uh we skipped a little bit, so we're over. Or we're behind, I guess you could say. Do you guys see this new uh build tool from Facebook? I could have sworn they already had a, a build tool for iOS. <laughs> yeah, what was that called? XC tool? Yeah, it looks like they had XC tool and now they have XC build, which is for building, and then XC tool is gonna not work for building in the future, but it will work for testing stuff going forward, is what I've read so far. I don't quite understand what the purpose of the change was. Do you guys have any clue? No, not really. I just heard about it this past week and looked at it briefly, but didn't really see what problem they're trying to solve that isn't solved by XC tool. I guess the only thing that seems nice about it is that it looks like it uses LL build, which is like Apple's build tool for their open source Swift build tool, which I'm guessing works with all the Xcode project stuff. Uh, but it also uses this thing called Ninja, which seems to be way faster. So I'd rather I'd, I would use that probably. <laughs> well, definitely something with Ninja. In the yeah, time. I mean, sounds awesome. I'm just gonna laugh when Apple has like this new thing that comes out. At Dub Dub, and it's like, oh, and here's our new build tool, and it's faster than Xcode build and Xe build and Ninja. <laughs> Super awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely be happy if Apple were to Sherlock all these third party tools and just make it work more seamlessly with the, the platform and the development tools. Yeah, I'm hoping for a new Xcode project format. That, that would make me feel good. <laughs> what are you finding lacking in the current project format? Oh, the same things for years. Just the the fact that you have to have all this um, mapping stuff. Like you have these groups that correspond to like virtual folders, and if you want to move stuff around, you can either move the groups and the files around in what groups they're in, or you can move the folders around, but if you want to get them in sync, then that's a whole other process. And there's, like, third-party tools out there to do that, but I don't know. Yeah, that, that whole project file thing is, is a royal pain. Yeah. Especially when you're working on a decent-sized dev team. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, having all that stuff, like, in this weird, like, binary-ish, not binary-ish format, but this format that has, like, all these hashes and Stuff that moves around, yeah. Especially yeah. if it has all sorts of warning signs if you want to use source control, that's for mm -hmm. sure. It's not uncommon for some of our developers at, at work to lose half a day trying to merge a project file in. I don't ever try to merge. I just revert and remake my... Take whatever someone else did and make my <laughs> changes again. Yeah, but you have to know what they did. No, I take what they did, and then I make my changes. Because mm. I know what I did, and I can remake them. <laughs> okay. I guess that's a simpler way. 
Yeah, although if you have two long-running branches and then you're merging them, then that may not work because it's not just your changes. Right. It's it's still ugly. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Android guys are going, project file? What project file? We don't have that problem. Yeah, give us, give us Gradle for, for iOS. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a Gradle plugin for well, Xcode stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I mean, like a equivalent right. to Gradle <laughs> <laughs> or first party Apple yeah. version of Gradle. It doesn't run on Java at all. Yeah, we'll call it LL Ladle. Ladle. <laughs> ladle. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to, if it's going to be LL Ladle, you have to give it a Spanish pronunciation, which would be Yadle. Yadle. All right, <laughs> give us some Yadle. <laughs> that sounds like that. a plan. Mm-hmm. Get working on that, will you? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll send an email to Craig, or I'll I'll drop it off at his house or something, and he can run with that. <laughs> so there was a Swift conference over in Paris back in January. I think it was the twenty ninth. Dot Swift, and they just posted a few videos out there. I'm not sure if it's all their videos. Did you guys catch that, or just most of them? They definitely have more speakers than there are videos listed on the site. Um, I think there's about seven videos that are posted and ten speakers listed. Okay. I know some of the speakers don't like to post their talks. Sometimes they may like use copyrighted stuff and they can't post them and stuff, stuff like that. But yeah, it looks like most of them are there. Okay. So those videos are released. Alex, you said you checked out a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some good ones out there. I always like Chris Eidhoff's perspective and approach to functional programming, and he does a good job with live coding on stage and making it look easy. So <laughs> uh, his talk was called Tiny Networking in Swift, and there were a couple other good ones that I watched. I haven't made it through all of them yet. But most of them so far are around 20 minutes, uh, so it's not not a huge investment of time to go out and check them out. Yeah, that's like a little bus ride for me. I could def definitely do those. The one I did want to look at that I haven't gotten a chance to check out was uh, called Beyond Krusty Real World Protocols. It's by Rob Napier, and it looks like he's uh, got some practical experience with protocol-oriented programming, which I'm still never sure when I'm doing protocol-oriented programming or just programming or imperative or whatever. I still need to watch those dub dub videos and have that, where they talk about that. <laughs> you better do that before June. Maybe they'll have, like, new versions of them in June. <laughs> Maybe I'll just sure wait. <laughs> I expect they will. You know, A, the protocols have evolved. Uh, since that talk, uh, they've made a few things a lot easier, like uh, protocol extensions, I think, came after that, if I'm not mistaken. It was part of that. Was it? Okay. Yeah. And I know the Swift has had a couple bumps since then. Uh, and there are a few more things that will be changing with protocols before June. Uh, but most people said that was their favorite talk, including... Uh, Rob, who did this talk on Beyond Krusty, you know, said that was the best talk of WWDC possibly ever. So 
I've, I've got wow, to imagine ever. that. Yeah. I've heard it was the best of, like, that dub-dub, but I have not well, heard ever. Wow, I really need to watch yeah. this one now. We should put a link to that talk in the show notes. <laughs> Wait, we should just all go back and take some time, watch it, and start recording again. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much work. We'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Sounds good. It was uh, It was the one session that I know of that Apple had to do a repeat of that week. Well, they were repeating um, because a few there was sessions. so much, um, so much demand for it. They were repeating a few sessions, I think, because they had this big Apple TV sized hole in their schedule. <laughs> uh, this one was more out of demand. They added it later, hmm. so it it definitely was well attended. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a good talk. Yeah. Spoiler spoiler alert, Argo, that Krusty's not so crusty. What? Yeah, you you think he's the, the villain of the story and then it turns out he's actually the the hero. So. Now I'm doubly intrigued. <laughs> but I have to watch the the dub dub talk first. It's quite a gonna be quite a week for me. <laughs> I've got some <laughs> homework to do. Yeah, well, that that was definitely a decent one, and if you're going to do any kind of Swift programming, it's it's a it's a definitely a good one. I don't know if you, I don't know if I'd go as far to say as it's a must see, but you really should see it if you're going to do any kind of Swift work. Need to dip my toes in again. It's been a while since I've dipped. Well, do you think we're going to get Swift three O with this dub dub, or? Well, we've got beta five, right, of iOS, uh, and you know, really that that suggests that Swift two two should be available not too far out. Yeah, it could be yeah. available by the time you hear this podcast. You never know. Well, maybe another the, week. There's the rumor that they'll have a March twenty first event where they're going to have the iPad Air three and a few other things. Originally, would, there was going to be yeah. a, an expected Apple Watch announcement in March. Oh, yeah. Rumors suggest that has slipped a bit. I'm fine with that. I'll have to see. Mm-hmm. If they change the band format for the new Apple Watch, that will <laughs> piss off a lot of people. Yeah, that would be annoying. <laughs> mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a guy at work. He's got several different bands. Like he matches them with his outfit and stuff. I've got a couple too. I was talking to some other Apple Watch owners over the weekend that were female, and they they all have multiple bands that they match to the appropriate attire. Hmm. There's lots of cheap that. ones out there, you know. You yeah. were just showing me this yeah. nice one that you got the other day, and it seemed mm-hmm. pretty high quality. And you didn't have to spend an arm and leg on it, so right. And there's a number. Uh, well-reviewed third-party bands that are in the ten to twenty-five dollar range, as opposed to the seventy-five to mm-hmm. three hundred dollar range, or more. Yeah. Although, just just as a disclosure, we are the worst people to talk about fashion. So, <laughs> if that's what you're looking for, look for a different podcast. <laughs> we are not good for that. We do like talking about 
Swift, though. Did you guys see this uh, this post by Erica Sedun? Or I'm not sure how you say her name. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, but uh, three of the kind of big Swift three um, Swift Evolution things have been accepted. So is that the C style four loops going? No, no, no. This is oh. this is all about uh making. More, huh? This is about making things more Swifty. So it's the translation of the Objective C APIs into Swift. Um, applying the API guidelines to the standard library, which does more than just making things Swifty. And then there's also kind of the most interesting one to me, which is like a number 23, which is API design guidelines. So I was looking at those this week and they have a bunch of uh, kind of detailed conventions, like how to name things. Argument labels, um, type names, hmm. lots of uh, naming stuff that seem like they'll. Because I remember when Swift came out, we were all like, "All right, what is what does idiomatic Swift look like?" And these design guidelines look like to be what Apple wants idiomatic Swift to be. Yeah, that that would be a good thing to adopt in any kind of organization. Yeah, some things are common sense, but some things um, are not. Like prefer method and function names that make use of sites that form grammatical. Yeah, I can't even talk. Make make method names that form grammatical sentences, which is something that I really liked about Objective C. And it seemed like it was getting lost in Swift a little bit. So it seems like they're trying to push that some more. They want factory methods to begin with make. So, I don't know. So Maybe that means there's not going to be to do the merge or? shared instance as a recommended Swift method name. <laughs> it's probably not recommended anyway. Yeah, true. Well, if you're going to do a singleton, it seems like that was a recommended method name for it. Or maybe true. shared whatever shared classes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they've got lots of interesting things. Some particle stuff like how types are named i don't know there's lots of lots of stuff in there so go check it out did you guys get a chance to look at this at all or no just briefly yeah it's uh kind of like what you would do with objective c but a little, little more swifty i guess omit all labels when arguments can't be usefully distinguished there you go, min number one, number two. Makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting that. So that's a a uh, bash against argument labels. Oh no, it's just when they're all like the same thing. Like when you're just throwing stuff out there that just to fill in a label. Don't do. Don't just put a label <laughs> just because there's a spot for it. Mm-hmm. I always get confused when to use an argument label and when not to. Well, there's there's probably some more conventions for that. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that'll help. Yeah. There's like five argument label conventions. One of my favorite ones was do not use abbreviations. And this is a kind of a common common sense one and it applies to most most languages, but uh let me see if I can find the 
example they used. Oh, there we go. So uh, in in mathematics, we have the sine function, but SI or SIN is the typical abbreviation. So they say use that. Uh, you don't need an explanatory phrase like vertical position on unit circle at origin of end of radius with angle. <laughs> That's a little bit too much. Or don't use sign spelled out because kind of S-I-N is the accepted uh, kind of term for the domain. But there's some good stuff here. Check it out. Maybe it'll answer some of your questions when you guys are writing all your fancy new Swift stuff. <laughs> While you're living in the classic world there. Classic world. Yeah. Objective C classic. Yeah. Well, I'm waiting until this all gets settled out before I jump in. I don't want to change naming convention four times. <laughs> there's well. there's some diffs uh where they show like the standard library getting changed over to these new naming guidelines and uh, that's a fun diff to look at. That's that's what pointed me to this article. Um, but lots of stuff changed, like all the collection methods, like for sorting things or have sorting an item in place, like the names of those have all changed. And luckily, there's mm. going to be a converter. But uh, if you had, if you thought like collection that sort meant one thing before, now it's something different. <laughs> <laughs> so. Probably good to read through some of those things. Yeah, so sort will change to sorted. Yeah, I think so. If you're trying to get yeah. just a, a new list that's sorted. Yeah. Oh, is there wow. a, is there a then, sort in place now, maybe? Yeah. There is well, a there, sort in place yeah. now, yeah. Which I, I think, like, if you take a step back, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's more clear. <laughs> currently, sort returns a new collection. Right. But sorted will return the new collection, and sort will be the destructive modifier. Yeah, but whenever I'm in any programming languages, like when you're switching around a decent amount, and you call sort, you're like, so did I sort this thing, or do I have yeah. a new thing that's sorted? I like Ruby's way of handling it, because they would put an exclamation point at the end of a method if it did something... Not necessarily dangerous, but um, maybe mutated what you were working on versus returning a new one. Mm -hmm. So theirs was sort to return you a new array and then sort bang to sort the one in place. See, that's very terse. But for someone like me who only briefly tiptoed into Ruby every once in a while, that's not clear what that meant. I it makes sense now that you explain it, but I never knew that's what they were doing. I was like, that's weird. Why is there a random exclamation point there? <laughs> yeah, okay. it was mostly to make you kind of think twice about what was going on there. Yeah, and it made me think, and then I'm like, oh, it works, so oh well. <laughs> <laughs> I will move I, on. I guess you can't use the exclamation point in Swift since it's going to unwrap your your literals. Yeah, one of the fundamentals from the API design guidelines was um, clarity is more important than brevity, which is also one of the things I liked about Objective-C. It's just how it reads like, you know, English sentences, like I said before, but like they say, although Swift can be can be compact, it's a non-goal to enable the smallest possible code with the fewest characters. Brevity 
where it occurs is a side effect of the strong type system and features, not uh, kind of a goal of the language. Hmm. Which I which I like. There but, are definitely some people that write terse swift. Yeah. But the exclamation point is an example of where if you were going for brevity, that's what you would do. But I'd be like, what? What's going on? <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Well, that, that character gets stolen anyway. <laughs> Though I think their question mark works pretty similar to the Ruby way. The Ruby doesn't have a dedicated like operator or anything like that for mm -hmm. it, but it was kind of a well you could ask it to do this if it could do that kind of thing gotcha yeah that's still one of the things that kind of rubs me the wrong way about swift but it makes sense why they have to have it so i'll do it <laughs> it's good for all you functional people who want <laughs> i think it's good exactly once you get. get used to it yeah i may just need it's to the dig in you know it makes it clear your intention of of how you want to deal with things that can be nil you know there's yeah. several potential exceptions or crashes that relate to that so and i tend to like treat the exclamation point as a, a code smell in most cases yeah i mean in in java land when I write Java apps, null, null pointer exceptions happen all the time. In Objective-C land, you get some weird side effect because you can just ignore nil and, you know, eventually down the line, something breaks. Right. Eventually it crashes because you try <laughs> to put it into a dictionary. Or yeah. An array. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is, it seems like a a good, it's like the best of both worlds, kind of. Yeah. So, uh, Alex, let me ask you this. In your view controllers, where you mostly just have you did load, and you have all your IV outlets that have exclamation points, and let's say you create a custom view, or you have a say a view model or something that you created that you're going to initialize in view did load, would you force unwrap that, or would you make it an optional and just use a a guard statement or something? Yeah, for me, there's like two places that I'll commonly force unwrap. It's in the IV outlets when I know I'm only going to have a single uh, storyboard or nib that I'm binding that to, and I want it to crash if things don't uh, don't get mapped properly. Uh, another place would be like a NSURL or UI image that I'm loading from a local asset. You know, I, I kind of want it to crash by mm -hmm. forced unwrapping right away. You know, I want to fail fast. But pretty much everywhere else, I try and avoid... I try and avoid optionals as much as possible. There's some places where it makes sense and I want to have an optional. Um, in your example, you know, with, with a view controller where you're not initializing it, you have to... Uh, you know, you 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 don't have that opportunity for dependency injection in the init method. Um, in that case, I I probably would have an optional and just have a guard statement uh, wherever I want to use that view model and not force unwrap. Or I might have it non-optional and um, set it to like an empty view model 
and then replace that later with a with the one that I want. I, that's probably with Fumano. That's probably less likely that I would do that, but in some cases I might just pre-initialize to to something representative, and then allow it to be replaced. The other option is do a custom init on your view controller and and don't uh, don't let the storyboard do the inits for you. You can do it in code or subclass UI storyboard so you can do your constructor uh, injection. Yeah, I started out doing the, say, initializing my view model as a uh, optional, and then I figured, you know, I know this is going to be here because I'm creating it in my view did load. And that's the first time my code's going to run. So I'm cool with force unwrapping it. Because it just got annoying putting guard statements everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose as long as you're careful. Yeah. And, and there are cases where you'll check to see if it's nil a line ahead of that or you initialized it you assigned it to a value the line before and you don't want to yeah. do the guard statement right away um so yeah there's there are cases where it's like i i am 100 percent confident that this is not going to be nil so force unwrapping is okay but generally try and avoid that yeah, for the most part, avoid it. But I think there's there's also like kind of a gentleman's agreement that you can take as well when you take that yeah. approach. And then somebody will come along and screw it up <laughs> later. <laughs> sure. Right. So not necessarily new news, but interesting stuff nonetheless. These days now you can have app previews for tvOS. I know that was one thing in the app store, in the app store that we, for at least the tvOS app store that we were curious why it was yeah, missing. Yeah, it seemed like the, you know, the box, little box hooked up your TV focused on video would have been a great place for app previews, but they weren't there at first. Yeah, so they're there now. Is that in the production builds or is it only in the beta? Do you know? That's a good question. That's a good question. I wonder if uh, the App Store is TVML. The App Store is definitely TVML. My guess is that it's in production because, I mean, if you go to that developer app preview page right now, it shows that they're there for tvOS. Okay. That is one of the nice benefits about using tvML. Just update real fast without any kind of... Well, in this case, since it would be an OS upgrade, since that's a thing that's bundled with the app yeah. or with the operating system. I was system. just It was just going through my head, I'm like, 
app store. That's probably like HTML so they can update it on the fly. So it's got to be there. I'm like, oh, wait, they didn't have HTML. Oh, wait, there's TVML. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is almost an HTML in a way, in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, it pretty much is HTML, but they didn't want to call it HTML or it's like a limited subset of HTML with some Apple or TV specific things added on. Well, it's more of a just a TV specific yeah, markup I guess language. That's more what it is, but it it it's probably using WebKit. <laughs> Let's be honest. They, they just like validate <laughs> yeah, it. No, I don't you don't think, think so. so. Okay. No, because you can. There's guides out there to create your own TVML components, and you're you're really manipulating actual. Uh, View Isn't there like a there. like a HTML component spec or something that's coming out? Like a JavaScript component spec that's up for review? I thought I read somewhere. I wonder if it's like that, but just TVML. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's it's very close to React Native, but not quite because you're not you're not really uh, manipulating a DOM so much as uh, just scripting a component really with your markup. You know, give me this. Give me this collection view with these mm-hmm. elements inside of it. Is basically the way it works. Hmm. So very similar to a React. I know there were some people that were working on doing React for TVOS. But that's a community project, not necessarily a Facebook-backed project. Interesting. I wonder what Apple's going to say yeah. or do about TVML slash lack of WebKit come dub-dub. They'll probably stay the course for at least another year, I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, there's there's actually ways you could compile WebKit for, the, the T, for TVOS itself. And embed that into your app and then display a web page. And I can't imagine that would pass app review, would it? Uh, the only thing I know out there that does that was some proof of concept thing that you have to install yourself with your I'd imagine developer account. That'd be flagged for some like private API warning or something like that. Well, if, if you're bundling the open source web kit, then you're not really using private Well, but they API. just they just look for certain API usages and stuff. Like, do you remember when there's like some core data thing that was getting people flagged in an app review? If you were using like the same name right. that was used, like some private core data thing was using, I remember that was years ago. I I think there was something yeah, with magical, magical record, record that was <laughs> flagging that. <laughs> I don't know, that seems like something that they but, are intentionally trying not to allow. There's probably some guideline yeah. in there about it or something. And generally if, speaking, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. Compiling your own web browser and bundling it in your app doesn't sound like a good idea. That sounds like it's against some no, like uh I'm sure it's like compiled code running on the device guideline maybe there is for, for TVOS. Kind of like how you can't 
download code to be used. Maybe that would that would be that even though it's just markup, or could it could be code mm, if it's no JavaScript. Yeah, but JavaScript allowed. is yeah, allowed. I well, think it would yeah. it would fall into the letter of the law that's out there, but I definitely don't think Apple would feel like yeah. they went with the spirit of I'll, the law. I bet there's some catch-all catch law that this is super vague that Apple would find a way to yeah. reject it for. Yeah. Well, they reserve the right to reject for any reason, so it doesn't have to True. be. True. You just be... You know, if it's not in the guidelines, doesn't mean you can do whatever. Yeah, see you the want. widget it's... debacle of whatever it was last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's not in the guidelines, it will be there when they don't want you to. All do right, that. Sam, I need you to submit a web browser for TVOS and see what happens. <laughs> well, the guy that was talking about doing it said it was pretty a pretty horrible experience because. The the focus mm -hmm. engine is yep, not that there, makes sense. right? So, right. If you want to tap on something or do anything, it's not going to work. Yeah, but honestly, I don't think Apple's missing anything by not having a web view. I mean, the only motivation I can see they would would have to add it would be for ads, and with them getting rid of iAd, I don't, I don't know if they're motivated. To to, uh, oh to yeah, they could on. like totally dub dub this year. Be like, and we've added some new anti-ad technology that lets you block all ads since iAd is no longer here. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> to stop them from doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they kind of allowed that anyway with the those content filters, right? For the but web. that was only yeah. for the websites. Yeah. They'll make content filters apply to all apps. That'd be. Yeah, I don't think that'll happen. I mean, and and they've got their news app, which has plenty of ads in it. So yeah. I, I don't, th I don't think the magazines and periodicals would get on board with Apple's news app if uh, they couldn't have. Well, and I think the other other reason to have WebKit and TVOS is just. Uh, be able to reuse web content that you have from somewhere else. Because, I mean, it's 2016 and there's lots of web content out there uh, that, I mean, people have in their apps just because that's how they were built or, or whatever. But, I mean, I could see that as a kind of the most important use case probably for allowing WebKit. But there, are, I guess there definitely are some complications with with the focus engine, like, having that run in WebKit, I could see that being very problematic, so. Yeah. yeah. And, well, maybe maybe in tvOS 10, they'll have WebKit because they'll have had time to do the focus yeah. engine we'll work see. on it. <laughs> assuming, that's assuming that mm -hmm. the focus engine is the thing holding it back, which may not be. Yeah. I I think they have to have a good use case in order to, to make that kind of investment. Yeah. I could see, like... News applications. Now I'm not even sure. I know Net Newswire is on the Apple TV. I'm not sure how they render the content without a web view. They probably just parse out the content and maybe do something with Cortex or something. Isn't that using just a big RSS reader? Yeah, but you could so... have HTML content embedded in that, right? So. 
I'm not sure like formatted code samples and things like that. How is that? I'm sure they're having to like kind of resort to what the whatever they're called, the reading mode, all those guys do and like parsing the HTML that they get from the RSS feeds and converting it into something else that's stripped of all the the web stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it'd be a horrible thing to do. Oh, it would be pretty horrible. Having to have a way to convert every <laughs> website you. on the planet into some markup only well, or like text just, only thing, text and images. Yeah. They you might have read. They might have some third party that already does Hopefully. that, or <laughs> your net newswire might have already had that capability yeah. built in. Maybe it's not not as bad as it sounds. Mm. But well, you're just reading RSS, though. But there's uh, most RSS it just has a bunch of HTML content in it. Well, yeah, for me, like the big thing for me would be like pre-formatted code yeah. samples, you know, in the RSS feeds that I read, you lose, you have the potential of losing some of that formatting, which makes it harder to, to read that, those articles. Yeah, there's bound to be but, some. I don't know. I might have to try it out and see how, how NetNewsWires works on. Yeah, TBS. and I guess you're right, Sam. I guess when I'm thinking about it in an RSS reader. There's text in the RSS reader part, and then you go to the web page, and that's where you get the web content. Okay. So, I, yeah, you definitely yeah, wouldn't want to render uh, that. There's probably but... like some stuff like Alex was mentioning that markup somehow in there. Mm-hmm. And if only they had handoff, then you could take a look at it on your TV and pull it up on your phone or vice versa. They don't have handoff? I guess they can't because well they, they, they well there's could, like the user problem. What user are you on Apple TV? Right. Right. You can they made it very easy to switch between iCloud accounts. Um but I don't think it could ever be easy enough to to switch that it would make sense to have handoff maybe. I think it would be pretty annoying too for like a safari icon to pop up while you're watching a movie and to look over to see that your your kids or your significant other is browsing <laughs> on their phone. Yeah, that would be interesting if they did that. Mm-hmm. So another cool little thing that was uh I guess it was this past week, yeah. So Realm, that uh content management site that also does a database. They uh, posted a big guide on functional reactive programming this week. Are you guys uh, getting more and more intrigued by that yet? Or is it popping up on your radar a lot? It's definitely something that we're looking at. And our counterparts on the Android side have Arcs, Java, and they've pretty much embraced it. And it's, for the most part, a de facto standard on Android. Uh, so. You know, Arc Swift is definitely high on our radar as something we might consider. Um, we've got so many different options that it's kind of hard to know which option to, to even consider or if any of them are worth adopting. Yeah, there's there's definitely some some big ones like Reactive Cocoa and Rx Swift, and then some more. Uh, I don't know if, if you call them. Minor players, but more, more specialized. We got. I forget. It was called Swift Bond. What's that called now? Do you remember? 
Oh, and there's a few of them out there. There's some called. There's one called Bind. There's one called Bond. There's there's a number of them out there that just handle the binding. You guys keep talking. I'm stuck over here in analysis paralysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So really, the binding part is a very useful part of functional FRP stuff. I have a hard time calling it functional reactive programming because it's a, a mouthful. And people who actually do functional programming will tell you that it's not really functional. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some uh, purists out there that will take most of these options and say that they're they're not pure. Maybe if we shortened it to something cooler like yeah. FERP. Why don't we just call it FERP? Everyone be like, what the FERP? <laughs> What's this FERP stuff you're talking about? <laughs> I think the Android guys just talk RX. You know, mm -hmm. it's all about RX. But that's more to go with the reactive extensions. Right. So this is, yeah, this is definitely more than that. I don't have quite the, the functional paradigm for Android, at least in the pure Java syntax. So yeah, the, yeah, there's definitely, you know, Rum did a great job of collecting a lot of these videos from the Swift language user group and potentially other sources and coming up with like a one-stop shop for learning about a lot of the different options and why you would want to learn it. And yeah, there's a good collection of videos in there. I think I've I've seen almost all of them. There's only one I haven't watched already and you know they're definitely good the the one on on redux of uh, with ben and that that was i think that came out a few weeks before swift flow and uh, uh you know our, our topic from a couple weeks ago you know with reswift merge uh so it's kind of it was a perfect timing to watch that video and kind of get excited about it and then see the two projects merge into one demonstrating some momentum and collaboration you know i'd like to see that happen with more of these projects yeah i've been using free swift to pretty good effect yeah. i'm starting to get a handle of on uh what goes in there and what doesn't go in there and, and uh I'm liking the separation of concerns. So it's definitely a library that I've passed the honeymoon phase on, but I'm still continuing to go down that path. I like it. So yeah, it's a. We'll put that in the show notes. The, the link to their guide. It's a pretty good episode or pretty good guide. Nice little overview and a few videos that let you dig deeper into it. Well, I'm on record as saying I think. Stuff's a fad. People keep talking about it, so maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, you know, the internet's a fad. <laughs> Mobile's a fad. Windows Phone was a fad. Well, I think we have lots more to say on this, but this is probably all the time we have left for this week. So we'll continue this discussion later. Uh, why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And I'm at Sam Quarter on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo. And uh, you can find the podcast at Shared Insta on Twitter. If you want to send us an email, 
uh, sharedinstancepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on the Slack at chat.sharedinstance.com. Um, and I think that's all the, ra- all the ways I can think of right now to reach us. So uh, reach out to us, give us a review, all that good stuff. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks a lot.